Well, hey, morning, y'all. I hope you had a great week. Uh, we are in week number two of a series we're calling God on Film. If you're new here, maybe you're, it's your first time in a while. My name is Andrew. So glad to see you here this morning as we gather to worship God. Uh, as I said, we're in week number two of the series called God on Film. As we're in the middle of the summer, we're kind of taking a look at some of the blockbuster movies uh, of the summer because I believe that God is a storyteller. And I said, said it last week that the Bible itself is not a history book. It's not um, a life instruction manual. It's not a collection of pithy sayings, wise sayings. Uh, though it inc- contains all of those things, the Bible is primarily a story. It's a story of God and God's working for redemptive purposes throughout human history. And so God is a storyteller. And, and you guys know this, but stories entertain, right? It's the reason that you go to movies. It's the reason that some of you binge on Netflix, right? Um, Stories entertain, but here's the powerful truth about stories is that stories also instruct. Stories instruct. They teach us things. That's why Jesus himself, during his life and ministry, one of the primary vehicles that he used to teach truth was through what we call parables or stories, because stories don't just entertain, they instruct. And You know, one of the things that we need to be aware of is as we consume or hear stories in our culture, as we watch movies or media or any of these things, uh, we have to be discerning. We can't just uh, casually accept every word, every idea that comes across our way. We've got to be discerning people. And one of the the tools, I'll just mention this briefly, uh, that I learned, learned years ago from a pastor named Mark Driscoll, it was this paradigm or this filter of looking at culture through the lens of receive, reject, or redeem. So in other words, there's some things that we see or we absorb that we can receive because they're good, they're wholesome, they, they point us to God or, or, or things of God. Uh, there's things that we need to outright reject because they are sin or they, they very clearly go against what God establishes in his word. So there's some things we receive, some things we need to reject, but then there's a lot of things that are more neutral that we, we can redeem. In other words, we can look at them and, and say, how does, this, how does this help me in my relationship with God? How does, how does this help me know uh, more about the character and nature of God? And so one of the ways that we're looking to redeem some of the stories that our culture is telling is by looking at movies, not just to entertain us, but how can these instruct us in the ways of, of who God is? So the question we're asking the series in each movie is, what is God like? Like, what are we seeing in this story that, that gives me more of a glimpse into who God is and what he is like? And last week, we talked about Avengers, Endgame, and uh, this week, we're jumping into the movie Aladdin. Okay, so how many of you have seen either the old animated version or the new 2019 version? Okay, a lot of you have, all right? Um, so let me say this, because uh, every week, I'm going to have to make the disclaimer that they, there may be spoiler alerts, but you know when that movie originally came out? 1992. So think about where you were in 1992. Some of you were like 10 years until you were even born or whatever. Um, 27 years if you're doing the math. So there's no such thing as a spoiler if a movie's been out for 27 years. Can you give me that? All right. Um, But I will spoil a couple things this morning as we look at this movie. Because this is a story, this movie Aladdin is a story of love It's about friendship, it's about integrity, it's about power. There's all these things going on. But I believe what this movie does is it explores kind of the motivations of the human heart. And more than that, I think it reveals one of the biggest um, desires of every human heart. The desire of your heart and my heart. And it's not for love or 
power. Um, those, those are certainly true. It's actually a theme that I, I see all the way throughout the Bible, all the way throughout Scripture, and the theme is this, freedom. Freedom. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Let me pray. We're going to watch a trailer, and then we'll jump in, all right? Father God, this morning we are uh, grateful that you are a God who gives free freedom to us freely. God, you are a God who sets us free. And Lord, every one of us has a desire for freedom, and yet many of us come into this room feeling bound to something, bound by something. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do and that you would set us free in this time with you and looking at your word, that you would deliver us, redeem us, that you would bring freedom where we feel bondage in our life. And so, God, would you meet with us and would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Summons me. I stand by my oath. Loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Watch out. Uh. You done wound me up. You ain't never had a friend like me. Hey, can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Y'all see my palace? You look like a prince on the outside, but I didn't change anything on the inside. Showtime. No, I'm in charge, okay? I say when it's time. Really? I thought a princess could go anywhere. Not this princess. Do you trust me? have seen this one, the new one. All right, It's a good one. Go see it. I, I joked in the first service that it has a monkey in it, and my wife loves any mo- movie that has a little monkey, so it's amazing. It's a good film. I found myself like singing a lot of Aladdin songs this week around the house. Um, there's three main characters in this film. And if you didn't see the animated one or this one, you can catch up later. Hopefully you got enough of a, a feel for this movie to kind of know what's going on, but there's three main characters in this film, and they all share this common frustration. And it's this frustration of feeling like they're trapped. They feel trapped. So you take Princess 
Jasmine, who is, you know, royalty, but she feels like she's trapped in the palace. Her father is overprotective, and so he shelters her, and she feels uh, trapped in the palace, separate from the common folk who she wants to serve and, um, and lead, and so she feels this sense of being trapped. And then you have the title character, Aladdin, who, as the song goes, is a street rat, all right? He's riffraff, and he, he fights this, this feeling of being worthless, like, this is his identity. Like, I've got to steal for food, and this is my lot in life. I'm just stuck on the streets, and I'm a street rat. And he's reminded of that over and over. And so he feels trapped in this identity. And then you look at the genie, who quite literally feels trapped, right, in a, uh, an oil lamp. And so he feels this sense of being forever subject to this life of servitude. He's got all this power, but he lives in this teeny little space, right? And he's, he, he is wanting to be free. And so he fights this feeling of being trapped. But if you even go a step further and you look at the villain of this movie, whose name is Jafar, um, you see that even he feels this frustration of being trapped. Like he wants power and control, and yet he's not the top dog. He is second. And so he has this frustration where he wants power and control and he feels trapped in second place. And so there's this sense in, in all of these characters in the movie of, of being trapped or stuck or in bondage or held hostage. Well, let me ask you a question. Think about this. What is the desire of every person who feels imprisoned? What is it? Freedom, right? They want to be free. Let, let me give you a case in point. If you're a teenager in the room or have ever been a teenager in your life, maybe somebody have to think back a few days or years, um, every teenager goes through a period of wanting freedom, right? Independence. Like, I don't want my parents or authority figures or somebody always bossing me around. I want to have some, some freedom. And that's a normal, natural thing. Now, that can often go into bad places, rebellion and stupidity and foolishness and all that stuff. But we've all been there, right? It's natural. We all want freedom and independence. And so that's really what I would say is the desire of the human heart. Freedom is the desire of every human heart. I mean, what makes the good old U.S. of A. so great? What is it about the United States that makes refugees and people from other countries? My mother in the 1960s who married my father, and she came from Vietnam here. What, what is it about the United States, that makes it so unique in the world. We're the land of the free, right? Because freedom is the desire of every human heart. Here's the problem. The human condition since Adam in the garden has been one of not freedom, but bondage. It's been one of bondage to sin, bondage to self. That's, that's the human condition, and so we all fight that. But the story of God is a story of what I would call Exodus, a story of Exodus. There's, there's a story in, there's actually a book of the Bible, a second book in the Old Testament is called Exodus, which literally means going out or departure. So what you have in the event, the Exodus in the Bible, is God's people in slavery, and God delivers them. He rescues them and brings them out of bondage. But this isn't just a one-time event. This is really the theme of the Bible. Uh, I'm reading this book right now called Echoes of Exodus. Um, and it's an incredible little read. Um, I highly recommend it. The, 
the, the tagline is tracing themes of redemption through scripture. So in other words, what this is saying is that from beginning to end of the Bible, this idea of exodus or coming out of slavery, it's, although there are many different seemingly disconnected stories throughout the Old and New Testament, there's one common thread throughout the whole Bible, and it's this theme of exodus or redemption, deliverance, freedom. Let, let me read you a, a quick quote here. The author says, we view the scriptures and the exodus in particular as not just their story, okay, not just the Israelite story, but as ours. Our fathers were all under the cloud, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10.1. It says, they all passed through the sea, they all ate spiritual food and drank spiritual drink, and these things happened as examples for us, their great, 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 great grandchildren. We are to read about the exodus, listen now, like we might read about the D-Day landings as a defining history that explains who we are. The exodus is our family story. Okay, here's what he's saying. This exodus story was an event in history, but it's not just their story. It's if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you claim to follow Christ, this is our family story. This is a story for all of us that we've been brought out of bondage into freedom. And this is what we talk about with the exodus. Even in Luke chapter 4, this is where Jesus comes on the scene early in his earthly ministry. He's in the synagogue speaking to the Jewish people. And he, he pulls out this Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah, about himself. And he stands in the flesh before these people reading this prophecy about himself in Isaiah 61, and he, re- he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Here's why I've come. He has sent me to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at what? liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's my mission. Here's the reason God sent me, not just to proclaim liberty, but to actually set captives free. I haven't just come to talk about being free. I've come to actually set you free. And this was Jesus at the beginning of his ministry saying, this is why I am here, to proclaim liberty and to set captives free. And so this idea of the exodus back in the Old Testament, the exodus was the central event in Israel's history. I mean, if you're a Jewish person, you point back to the Exodus. In fact, God set up this memorial that happens annually, even to this day, called the Passover, the Passover meal. And it's a reminder of what God did in bringing the people out of slavery in Egypt into freedom and into the promised land. And so the Exodus was the central event. But you know, sometimes when we think of the Exodus, Of God's people, sometimes our mind goes to one particular part of the Exodus, and it's the Red Sea. You guys familiar with that? Even if you're not a church person, you know the whole Moses parting the Red Sea and this whole deal. And we think of that story as this is when God delivers his people. It was part of the story, but actually it begins back in Exodus chapter 2. And so I want you to look there with me. Exodus chapter 2, it'll be on the screens for you. This is when the Exodus actually begins. In the the beginning of the book of Exodus, you find God's people in 
Egypt. They're in slavery, and they're several generations removed from God kind of uh, being over them and them acknowledging him as their Lord. And it says in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 2, During those many days, the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And so here's what you have. The people of God in slavery, and they're crying out for help. They're crying out for rescue. Now, were they crying out to God in particular? Not necessarily. They were just groaning because of the bondage that they felt. But here's what's happening in verse 24. And God did what? God heard their groaning. So let me stop here for a second. You've got to know this. Some of you are crying out because, and you're groaning, maybe not even to God in particular, but because of the feeling that you have a bondage, you're feeling trapped to something or by something, and you are crying out. You want to happen to the people of Israel? They cried, and that cry came up to God, and it says that God heard. And so I want to remind you this morning that God hears your cries. He's a God in heaven who hears, but he don't, not only hears, it says God heard their groaning, and God, what, remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In other words, God had made a promise, a covenant with their forefathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made them a promise that I'm going I'm to bring you into a land that's flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, and you've got this abundant, fruitful life ahead of you. I promise, and I don't go back on my promises. And here is God. He hears their cries, and he remembers this covenant that he made with them. He remembers this promise he made to them. And then it says he did something else. God saw, verse 25, he saw the people of Israel. He saw the condition they were in. He saw what they were facing. And then it says, and God knew. He heard and he remembered. He saw them and he knew. He knew what they were going through. He knew the desperation they felt. He knew the hopelessness they felt. And he knew it was time to act. And then we begin to see throughout the rest of this book of Exodus, God begins to move in a big way. He calls a man named Moses to be the deliverer of these people. And so God calls Moses through this this burning bush, and it's this miraculous call that God puts out to him. He sends Moses to be delivered. He sends him to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to demand that Pharaoh would let his people go. And then God proceeds to prove his power through these 10 miraculous and disastrous plagues. He begins to prove his power to Pharaoh in order to to convince him to let his people go. In the midst of all of this, before the 10th plague, God institutes the Passover. Let me explain the Passover to you. This 10th plague was that God was going to come through the land of Egypt and he was going to take the firstborn of every family. He was going to kill the firstborn of every family. But God said to his people, listen, here's what I want you to do. To escape judgment, here's what you need to do. Take a lamb that is spotless, without blemish, and sacrifice that lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and you're going to put that on the doorposts of your home so that when I come through the land to execute judgment, I will see the blood of that spotless lamb and I will pass over. 
and you will escape my judgment. You will escape my wrath. In fact, you will experience freedom and deliverance because of the blood of a lamb. This was an incredible picture if you haven't connected the dots. This was a prophetic picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do for us in being the spotless lamb of God who would take our sins upon himself. And our blood would cover us so that we are in Christ. That way we escape judgment, but we don't just escape judgment. We have freedom in a relationship with God that, it, that spans all eternity. And so God institutes this memorial, this Passover, to represent the deliverance that God was going to give his people. And then God proceeds to deliver them through the Red Sea. And it's a miraculous series of events as God brings his people out of bondage and into freedom and into abundant life. And this is what's taken place. And I want us to look at Exodus chapter 15. Okay, so Exodus chapter 15. Here's what happens. God brings the people through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then he, what he does is he drowns all the Egyptians, the enemy who is pursuing them. And so they come out on the other side. They're safe and secure. And you know what they're doing? They are singing a song. They're like doing a happy dance. You know what I'm saying? The freedom and deliverance they've been crying out for has become a reality. God has freed them. He has pulled them out of their bondage. And so Exodus 15 is what we know as the Song of Moses. In other words, they are praising God because what he has done. And so I want, I want us to look at Exodus 15, a few verses here. Because listen, if you are in Christ this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, to be the Lord of your life, then this is not just the song of Moses. This is not just the song of God's people, Israel. This is the song of all of God's people, all of God's redeemed. And so let me, for some of us, we just need this reminder of who God is and what he does in bringing us freedom. So look at Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse number one. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is, the, is my strength. And my song, and has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. You know what he's saying? He is saying, he is our salvation. In other words, we didn't pull ourselves out of the shackles. He did it. He is the one who has triumphed. He is the one that brings freedom. And so we sing to him. And you know what I love about this too? They sing this, this is my God. This isn't just my grandfather's and my great-great-grandfather's. This isn't just my mom and my dad's God. This is my God, and I will exalt him. Listen, for some of us, we need to make that declaration. Because for some of us, this, isn't, this is my mom and my dad or my grandparents or somebody else's God. And what the people did here was they experienced freedom, and they said, this is my God. And I'm going to praise him. I'm going to exalt him because he has brought me freedom. He is our salvation. This is the first cry of God's people as they come into freedom. But then look at verse number three. They go on. They say, the Lord is a man of war. And I love this because there, was, there are people in our world today that would, that would look at God as this weak, impotent being. 
who has no power. He's all warm and fuzzy and rainbows and unicorns, and that's not who God is. It says he's a man of war. In other words, he is strong. He is powerful. He is able to deliver. Do you believe that this morning? He is strong. The Lord is his name. And the people begin to sing about all that he has done. And they come down to verse number 11, and it says this. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? In other words, we acknowledge that there are other gods that are being worshipped. There are other gods who maybe have some degree of power, but nobody is like you. There's no one like you. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. They are crying out to God because he is strong. He is their strength. He is the one that is able to deliver. And so for us this morning, listen, some of you are wrestling with feeling like you're in bondage to something. Can I remind you or maybe tell you for the first time that he is strong and he is able to deliver you out of whatever you're facing. Amen? He is more than strong. And this is what the people are crying. But then they go on. Look at verse number 13. You have led us in your what? Steadfast love. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Not only is he our salvation, not only is he strong, but he leads us with steadfast love. You know what this means? He doesn't just lead us with strength. He leads us with tenderness. He leads us with love that does not end, that does not fade, that does not grow weak. It's a steadfast love. This is the deliverer that we're talking about. This is the God who is unlike all the other gods, and they praise him because of who he is. And so for Israel, this, this exodus, this event, this was the central event in their history. But for us, Our exodus is through another event. It's the cross. The cross is the central event in the church's history. Our exodus, our way out of bondage is through the cross of Jesus. It is through what Jesus has done on your behalf and mine. Jesus came as the God-man perfectly. Perfectly, 100% God, 100% man, totally without sin, lived the perfect life that we should have lived, died the death that you and I deserved because of our sin, but then rose again in victory over death and hell and the grave. And he did that to take our sin upon himself. And he did that on the cross. And the cross, listen now, the cross is our exodus. The cross is our way out. Some of you, listen, you need to know this. You can't do enough good stuff or show up in this room enough times to remove your sin. You cannot do enough good stuff or show up in this building enough times to break free from the shackles of sin. You cannot do it. Jesus is our salvation. What he did on the cross is our salvation. That is the only way that we can find freedom, good works, being a good person, none of that stuff will do. Our exodus comes via the cross. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, speaking of Jesus, it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been what? Healed. You have been freed by his wounds. Romans 1.16, one of my favorite verses For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? Salvation. For salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, also to the Greek. Here's what Paul's saying. Christ is the one who brings freedom. The person, the work of Jesus, man, that brings salvation, deliverance, freedom. And only Jesus brings freedom. That is the good news. That is the good news that we're talking about. This is our exodus, our way out of sin, our way out from under the burden that some of us still face today from our sin. But I want to take a sidebar here for for a couple minutes because there's a song that you heard in the trailer um, that I think has a kind of a positive and a negative kind of application that I, I think it's worth taking a couple minutes to talk about. It's the song called Friend Like Me. Okay, do you remember that song in here? It's the da 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 and it goes on and on, and it's like it'll get stuck in your head. And this song, okay, this is when the genie kind of first reveals himself to Aladdin, and he's explaining how this whole genie thing works. And so he goes into this song and dance, right, literally, about how this all works. And his, his main line, the main line of this whole song is, you ain't never had a friend, what? Like me, okay? So let me, let me talk about this for a minute. I think this is important because there's a positive spin on this. When we look at who God is, who Jesus is, the positive thing is this. Je- you ain't never had a friend like Jesus, amen? He is the friend unlike any other. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners, which is good news, news for us, right? Amen? It's good news for us. He's a friend of sinners. Jesus described himself as, he, he said, I'm, I haven't called you servants, I've called you friends. In Proverbs 18, it kind of foreshadows Jesus as the friend who sticks closer than a, what, brother. And so Jesus, man, you will never, ever have a friend like Jesus. And here's, here's the cool application of this, is that sometimes we think of of. God or as Jesus as this all-powerful being in the heavens, which he is, but we forget that he is a personal friend who is near us, who walks alongside of us, who is with us. Never had a friend like Jesus. But there's, there's a negative kind of thing I want to talk about with this whole idea of, of the genie, okay? And it's, it's a phrase I don't want to throw out at you. You're not going to remember this, but it's, it's, it's kind of the way a lot of, I would say, Loosely, Christianity views, um, views the relationship with God, and it's something we call moralistic therapeutic deism. Okay, so let me give you some pictures that will help define this. I remember coming across this a few years ago and thought it was so helpful. Many people in Christianity subscribe to this kind of Christianity. This is the religion of many people who call themselves Christians. The God of this religion is passionately focused on serving us while making us feel really good about ourselves. He'll mind his own business until we need something, and then he will spring into action. It's not about him. He requires nothing of us. It's all about us. He is at our beck and call. And so he's like a toady butler. I love that terminology, right? He's like a toady butler who's at our beck and call or a fawning genie. 
And so when you put these two guys together, this is what you get. You get the God of what we call moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a God who essentially says this. Oh, hello there. You rang? How can I make you feel better right now? How can I serve you? Wow, you're looking really nice today. You are just the greatest thing ever, aren't you? Man, I am lucky. Am I lucky to be your God? It is, in essence, what, what we've done and what a lot of people do is t- taken God and imagined him as this all-powerful being who exists at our beck and call, who, when I have a need or when I want to be happy, I need you to respond. I, it's kind of like Aladdin in, in that, that scene where he says, I'm in charge now. Remember that? And then the genie was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> but this is, this is, in a lot of ways, the Christianity of our day, if I can be real honest. It's God exists for my pleasure. He is my genie in a bottle. And when I need something, I'm going to call on him. And he exists to make me happy and to make me feel good and to meet all of my needs. Can I tell you something this morning, as humbly as I can? That's not the God of the Bible. That's not who God is. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. Amen? We exist for his glory. We exist for his pleasure. We exist to serve him. In fact, in Colossians 1, it says this about Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? For him. For him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Listen, let's not throw stones because there are times when every single one of us believe in this kind of God where God doesn't answer our prayers and the way we want them answered and the timing that we want them answered. And we question and we doubt and we go, God, are you even there? Are you really all-powerful? Do you even exist? Because he hasn't bowed to our every whim. But that is not the God of the Exodus, the God who frees us from bondage. Listen, the God who doesn't just free us from bondage, but frees us for something, frees us for worship, frees us for goodness and righteousness, frees us for holiness. Listen, our culture today loves freedom. Like, give me freedom. I don't want this oppression by our government or by anybody, but it's, it's, it's not true biblical lasting freedom. Because the, the freedom of the world says, I want to be free of any restraints, free of any authority in my life. But the freedom that only Jesus brings is not just freedom from oppression. It's a freedom for him. It's a freedom for mission. It's a freedom to live for him and not just for myself and my own pleasures. This is the freedom that only Jesus brings. It's not just a freedom from, it's a freedom to and a freedom for something. Because in the Exodus, God just didn't just bring them out of Egypt. That wasn't the plan of the Exodus. The plan of the Exodus was, I am going to bring you into a promised land that is so much better 
than anything you could ever imagine. But I got to get you out of there. And I got to get there out of you to get you into this place of abundance. But listen, y'all, we struggle in getting out of this or getting the world out of us so that we can experience the freedom and liberty that God has for us. But you've got to know this morning that only Christ brings freedom. The longing of our hearts, the freedom that our hearts are longing for, only Christ brings that freedom. Amen? He is the freedom bringer. He is the Savior, the one that saves us. This verse isn't on the screen, but we sung it this morning. John 8 Verse 36, Jesus himself said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. Like not just halfway free. You will be free for real. You will be free indeed. But only if the Son sets you free. Because only Christ brings the freedom that our hearts are longing for. And so this morning, the question is, what do we do with all of this? Let me give you three quick things, and I'm going to trust God to help you apply this to whatever you're facing. Three things this morning. Number one is this. Let's turn to Christ for freedom. Let's turn to Christ for freedom. Some of you in this room, you don't have a relationship with God. You would not even claim to have a relationship with God. You need freedom from the penalty of your sin. Because the reality is, if you never submit your life to God and let him take your sin upon himself, you will go into eternity having to pay for your sin. And you will do that separated from God in a Christless eternity called hell. But if you turn to Christ, the good news is as we read in 1 Peter 2, he bore our sin for us so that if we would put our faith in him, man, he's already done the work and paid the price for our sin. And so all we do is come to him in faith and repentance. We need to turn to Christ because, again, you can't show up here enough times or give enough money or do enough good things to ever find freedom. So let's turn to Christ for freedom. Some of you, listen, maybe you made a decision to come to faith in Christ at one point, but you are feeling hostage to anger or bitterness. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's addiction. I don't know what it is. Can I tell you, only Christ can set you free. Let's turn to Christ for freedom. The second thing is this. Let's remember the freedom that Christ has given us. Let's remember. You know, you may have been here about three months ago. I shared a story the first time I ever spoke at Friendship. I shared the story of a friend who invested his life in me in high school. I didn't grow up going to church, knew nothing about God. Had a friend who reached out to me, his name was Matt, and him and his family began to love me, pulled me into church. Um, this is my friend Matt uh, that was here this morning with his family. And here's the crazy thing. 27 years ago, on this very day, July 14th, 1992, this kid who was as lost as could be heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus loved me and died for me and was powerful enough to forgive me of my sins. I heard the good news 
and I gave my life to Jesus. And I found freedom. I got my song of Moses. It was the song of Andrew and I've never been able to get over it. And I'm not gonna do it to you this morning. Composure. I lost it in the first service because I'm looking literally at my friend Matt in this row over here who, because God used him in such a powerful way, he was faithful to point me to Jesus. I'm standing before you today and I lost it. And I'm gonna take a breath. <laughs> this was the reason for the Passover. <clears throat> Remember what God has done for you. Celebrate. Man, don't get over what God has done for you. And some of you may have forgotten. You need to come back to that. Maybe some of you, man, he freed you from your, the penalty of your sin, but you're still wrestling with the power of sin. <clears throat> Today, let's celebrate the fact that he's freed us. The last thing is this. Let's point others to Christ for freedom. Like my friend Matt did to me, we point others to Jesus because Jesus has freed us from our sin, not so that we could go, man, life is good now. I don't wrestle with all the same junk that I did before. No, he has freed us for mission. He has brought us out of sin so that we could reach back in and pull others out with us and pull them into the kingdom of God, pull them into the church of God, pull them into the people of God because that is what he has so graciously done for us. And so let's turn to Christ for freedom. Let's remember that he has brought us freedom and let's point others to Christ because again, only Christ can bring true freedom. Amen. And so Father God, this morning we are grateful <clears throat> that you are a God who doesn't just talk about freedom. You didn't just write a book about freedom. You came in the flesh and you laid your life down to set us free. You came to set us free from the penalty of sin. And yet you came also to set us free from the power of sin. And so God, for every person in this room, God, would you give us freedom? For the person in this room that needs to turn their life over to you for the very first time, God, would you bring them in humility before you, in repentance and faith? God, for every one of us that's wrestling with something that would cause us to feel trapped, that would cause us to feel like we're in bondage. God, would you, would you remove the shackles? Would you help us to look to Christ for freedom? God, help us as a people, as your people to point others to Christ for freedom because it's only in the sun that we can be set free. And not just halfway, when the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. And so God, we come before you and we worship you because you are the God of the Exodus. And we thank you. We thank you that our song this morning can be, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but praise the Lord, now I can see. And so Lord, we come before you with grateful hearts this morning as we continue to worship in Jesus' name.